plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. <laughs> I didn't even remember what What'd you say? Plus minus. Yeah, like, like you, Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tell the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well plus respected. Minus. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Welcome to Warriors Plus Minus. This is the teacher is gone. What is it? the adult in the room is out? It's just us today, so we're gonna be a little wild. I got uh, Anthony Slater, Ethan Strauss, Tim Kawakami is off, like you know, doing important things, real things, while we're kicking it. We can say anything. We can say a Bob Fitzgerald best announcer on League Pass. Low key though, he kind of is. This is where we're starting this podcast. This he, I mean, I look, I'm, I'm, I understand. I get it. I get it. I hear people. I get it. But man, if you flip around, <laughs> it gets to be it gets to be pretty tough around the league. There's some good time. ones. Mike Breen does the Knicks games. Yeah, Mike Breen is great. I like Mar- I like Mark Jones in uh, uh, Sacramento, Sacramento when he does those games. I like uh, the Pelicans broadcast, Antonio Daniels oh, and Joel man. Myers. Oh, that's yeah, a great that voice. Yeah, that is that's good. That is good. Joel Myers with the million-dollar voice. What takes could we have to, to frustrate and annoy Tim? You know, what could we say? What, Blocking what, what, people on Twitter is wrong. Oh, it's very wrong. It's very wrong. Eric Paschal is the missing ingredient against the Lakers. The Warriors need to sign in. Kelly Oubre to a max extension. <laughs> well, these are just false takes. <laughs> Bobby Rowell's reign was underrated. <laughs> Chris Cohan would have won three rings too. Like there you go, Slater. Are you ready for this? Nobody's more ready for this play-in game on Wednesday. Warriors Lakers. We didn't know it would be this way, but because of injuries, we kind of get the best of both of your worlds. Are you ready? More important than whether they are. This is an iceberg off in the distance that we've been kind of seeing getting increasingly likely to collide in the past few weeks i'd say two weeks ago it was like oh this seems like it's probably happening like there was different results that could have changed it even up to last night but it almost felt like the lakers had had been resigned to the fact i mean they almost locked in this matchup or at least they're playing their side of the matchup like four games ago when they rested everyone against the rockets and like were kyle kuzma floater away from from losing that game so I think they're okay with being in the play-in, but that's that's a risky life for them. I mean, that's they have the cushion of if they lose this game that they they go down and face the winner of of Memphis San Antonio, but you know, technically we're two games away from potential LeBron elimination. Disaster, aka NBA disaster. Ethan, what what is LeBron up to by declaring Steph the MVP? I just watched the full clip of him saying it, and it really says something about LeBron's place within the NBA culture that we don't just receive it as what it is, you know? No, I actually think it is what it is, but I imagine since TK is here, we can dive into your theories about what it is. That's what I want. I want radio Ethan theories. Radio <laughs> <laughs> Ethan theories. I kind of think it might be what it is, but he went for so long, and there are the theories that he's out recruiting Steph Curry, and that's part of it. And then there are other theories about why he might resent how MVP has been decided in the past. But the argument he's making is pretty factual, in my opinion. I don't know if many people are saying that Jokic definitively has a better season than Steph had. The criteria is a little bit arbitrary. I'm not saying that Jokic shouldn't win it, 
but it is a little bit arbitrary. I think it is fair to point those things out, but it says something with LeBron. Everything seems Machiavellian, but not exactly subtle with LeBron James. And it always seems like he's up to something whenever there's some sort of messaging. And when you consider that there has been so much obvious resentment in the past towards Steph from LeBron's camp that would leak into uh, the media allies of LeBron, it is a very curious about face is what I would say. Well, Marcus, you're the one that wrote literally today about Petty Steph. I was about to say, isn't it about face? You, oh, yeah, You yeah. wrote today about Petty Steph and the idea that, like, he takes these slights and, you know, it's like you know, what a, a lot of the greats do. Obviously, Michael Jordan, the most famous among them. Just two days before LeBron knows he's playing Steph in a massive, you know, basically NCAA tournament-style game, he just drops this little nugget. How long from LeBron saying it did Steph read it? Like four minutes, five minutes? Like when was Steph made aware that LeBron said this right away? I wouldn't be surprised if he's got LeBron tweets. He was on the Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) So hold on. Are you saying, is, is it your contention that LeBron is doing this to avoid petty Steph? He could have said this a week ago. You know, he could have said it in the lead up. I mean, this isn't like... This isn't new what Steph has done this past week. Yes, to me, I think part of it is like he knows he's playing them and he knows this is like kind of, you know, buttering him up a little bit. I I mean, it's I don't think it's like too evil or anything. I think it's like probably a, a, a good little behind the scenes play. I like that thinking. I, I do like that. From basketball wise, I, I actually think the Warriors should be a little bad at Denver. <laughs> this is This is going to be a tough matchup. Okay, am I crazy for thinking about it this way? And the obvious caveat is one game sample size, and I think it can happen. But it feels like the Grizzlies beating the Warriors, if the Warriors lose this game to the Lakers, is about as much of an upset as the Warriors beating the Lakers in the first in the first game. That's probably right. One thing I would say about this first game, though, is this, and the, and this should motivate the Lakers more than the Warriors because the Lakers actually have title aspirations, but. This is for the much better side of the bracket. This is to play Phoenix, and then this is to play the winner of Denver-Portland. If you go on the other side, you play Utah on a 1-8, and the winner probably gets the Clippers. Um, yeah, this so is if, the easiest yeah. road to the title. So if you're the Lakers particularly, you really want this 7-8 game. Because even if you, you know you lose this step, you're probably going to go beat the Grizzlies. Same with the Warriors. We would favor them and chase, as we just saw, literally, to beat the Grizzlies. But even the Warriors, I think, can make more noise on the 2-7 the side of this. So there, there's a lot at stake. But what you're saying is right, Ethan. I mean, like, you know, the varying levels of being an underdog. Yeah, and it's such a difference from the Blazers, again, where not sure what Vegas would put that on. But at this point, with how the Warriors are playing, with how those teams match up, I would have picked the Warriors in that game. That's just how I see it, even in Portland. Uh, just given how Even with the way they're them. playing? Even with the way the Blazers <laughs> are playing? I still, I just get, I've seen it too many times. I've seen it too many times, seen too much staff dominance, seen too There's much, too much dominance. film on it. Right. It's too, it's, yeah. It's, too much film it's like, on it. it's like, you know what? I, I'll, I, I, I'm, the first time it happens, I'll say, Hey, good for them. Good for the Blazers. <laughs> like the first time they reverse it all, they reverse the trend, but no, I wouldn't pick them. And the Lakers, I mean, everybody, I don't think anybody thinks that's a great matchup for the Warriors. And, they could do it potentially. Maybe that's a conversation we, we should be having. How do they beat this giant 
this giant veteran Laker team. Yeah, I'm kind of like in the middle of writing an article just mostly about like these teams profile very similarly. You know, the Lakers had the seventh worst offense in the in basketball this season and the six below them were literally the six worst teams in basketball. Name them, you know, Thunder, Cavaliers, Magic. Like they were terrible offensively this year. Obviously, some of that had to do with Davis and LeBron missing. Davis missed half the season. LeBron missed almost half. They were only a middle of the pack offense when those two were on the floor, like 112, which I think would have ranked like 14th, 15th. So the Warriors, who are an elite defense like the Lakers, they shouldn't just get railroaded by the Lakers offense. Like to me, that's not the side of the ball that's a concern. Then you're going to need to rebound well because obviously you have Davis out there, Drummond, Gasol will be out there. Like they're just much bigger. They're going to have to keep them off the glass. But it's the other side. And that to me, as we talk about the idea of an upset, it's, it's how do the Warriors score enough? Because the Warriors were the 20th ranked offense this year, and the Lakers, even with those guys missing all that time, were the number one ranked offense. Frank Vogel runs just a really disciplined, well-schemed defense. He has veterans all over. I think they're built so well to defend the the Warriors because obviously you have LeBron free safety. He reads everything. I mean, we've seen it this year. You know, he just knows the off-ball action that other guys don't. Davis, if he's healthy, is maybe the best small ball center in basketball because he is a center, but he can play in a small environment. And then I actually like their guards on Curry. You know, like Dennis Schroeder, although he's just back from coronavirus protocol, so maybe he's rusty and just not all the way there. But he chases Curry well. Caruso is a great option. They were pumping Caruso up for all defensive second team. He actually really is a good guard defender. And Caldwell Pope's solid. So you have like good on-ball attacking guards. You have an elite rim protector on the back end. And then you have LeBron playing free safety, reading everything. Like, how do the Warriors score enough in this game? I actually think that's better. I think that's better, too, than, like, Memphis strategy of Dylan Brooks. Because eventually, Steph just figures it out. He will figure you out. It's the problem Portland has, right? They've got, like, one, maybe two options max to guard him. And eventually, he figures them out. I like the Lakers' ability to just throw a bunch of looks at him. And then if those don't work, they can throw LeBron at him. Like, he won't get the same look, which really puts the onus on all these other players to really execute because if they don't, you know, advantage Lakers. And that's that's literally going at the head of the snake. You take off the head of the snake, the Warriors aren't nearly as potent. That's what I like about the Lakers' chances, the amount of bodies they could throw. What it would take, a huge series from Wiggins. And I, I do think you're right, Jordan. Well, it ain't Poole a series. Oh, yeah, a, a huge game. game. Can the Warriors bank on a huge game from Wiggins? He needs to pack an incredible series into one game. He needs to con- condense it is what we, you know, that's that's what has to happen from Wiggins. I just look at, I mean, maybe we're all just a little obsessed with the Jordan Poole phenomenon, but I bet they're going to blitz Steph. I bet they're going to give him so much attention. And, I mean, it was another impressive run for Poole in the Grizzlies game, but it just seems like he needs more minutes. And it can't just be Steph. If the question is, how are they going to score? How the hell are they going to score? The Lakers are large. They're disciplined. It just seems like they need the Jordan Poole safety valve and sacrifice whatever they need to sacrifice on defense. I don't think it can be 25 minutes of Jordan Poole. I think it needs to be more so. Tell me I'm wrong. You mentioned the concern within that opinion, which is you know part of the reason we think the Warriors can survive in this game is because what they can do defensively and the way they can kind of, even in a smaller lineup, handle this kind of bully ball Lakers offense. If LeBron James sees Jordan Poole on the court for 30 minutes, how many of those minutes is he going to be trying to get him switched on to him, get him in the post, throw his yeah, ass? Yeah, but even right without him, him, are you really like? 
can you play that great of defense? Look, he should get Michael more minutes than Michael Mulder. If they wanted to go seven-man rotation and just eliminate the Michael Mulder minutes, then they're all Jordan Poole or however you you know kind of maneuver that around. I'm fine with that. Now, the answer to the equation right now is like it would be the Kent Bazemore minutes, right? Those are the extra ones you're giving to Poole. It's an offense-defense switch, and you guys might – 100% be right but I'm just saying like LeBron James will hunt Jordan Poole like that that will happen well good he's not hunting Steph then because that's usually part of the strategy that LeBron teams have used against the Warriors in the finals is to fatigue Steph by targeting him again and again on pick and roll have have Jordan Poole be the decoy have have uh, Steph's legs get rested as Poole is being targeted in PNR after PNR so that's perhaps an ancillary benefit to having another guy out there uh, who can be a target. Look, in the most optimal scenario, if the Warriors play like the great kind of defense they want, what what are they holding the, the Lakers to? It ain't 80. <laughs> what, 105, 110? You hold them to 100, yeah. They still got to be able to score. Like they just have to be able to score. And so that's why I'm saying the real answer is Wiggins. If Wiggins is giving you something, now you can make the defensive sub. Like you can leave Bazemore out there longer for defense. If you're getting nothing, now you got to go heavy on Jordan Poole. But the bottom line is you're not holding this team to 80 points with LeBron and AD. You're going to have to score. You got to put offense on the floor. And also, as we know with this team, the better they score, the better they play defense. Right? You get you get Steph loose. You get the offense, you know, rolling, they defend better. So I feel the idea. I know why he plays Kent Bazemore. I know why he wants to focus on defense. But even the most optimal defensive performance will be meaningless if they can't score. And that that's one of the difficulties the Lakers possess. And Draymond will not be able to roam, right? That's another thing. Like, AD will require Draymond's attention. And we know their defense is best when he's doing the – the middle linebacker thing, and he's kind of all over the place. He can't help like that with AD. So they're kind of compromised defensively from from a traditional standpoint anyway. Drummond, who we haven't even mentioned, is now going to be basically playing the role of Valanciunas. Is but Drummond the solution? Is so, Drummond yes, the also solution? A pro- yeah, he, he might be. No, 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 this is a good point. Like, Drummond ha- hasn't been good since he's got to the Lakers to the point that, like, most people around the Lakers are like, why is Marcus Holt not getting more minutes? And honestly, Frank Vogel might, because of the, this now becomes winning time, really, for the Lakers, like, you might see a lot more Marcus Holt than, than Andre Drummond. But I think Drummond's starting the game, and I do think they need to target him. And maybe this is the way they they flip it. You know, this is the, the crack in the armor right here, is that the Lakers, they're big. We keep saying it. They're huge. It's intimidating. They might be a little too big. They might have a little too many centers on their team. And you rev up the pace, Draymond at center. You increase the variance, which helps you with a, with an upset bid. Shoot more threes. I mean, I look at that. I can't stop talking about it. But that, that Poole-Steph combination. And I was looking into what really works about it. Because Poole doesn't do that well in that combination, by the way, when those two share the floor. He's very deferential. But they shoot threes at just an insane clip in those over 200 minutes that they've shared together. Now they are plus 19.4 per 100 possessions uh, when it's Stephen Poole on the floor. I mean, go with that. Maybe I only have one move, right? Maybe I'm not being creative enough, but <laughs> Draymond at pool. center. Yeah, more cowbell, more pool. Uh, I just texted a Warriors coach about it. He was asking me. 
<laughs> was asking me about, I won't reveal what, but it was a lineup thing. And it's just, look, I only have one, I only have one move. It's more Jordan Poole. That's it. And it seems to fit the bill in this case because they're going to have to go small against the Lakers being big. And they're going to have to try to run them off the floor. And that's just how it's got to be. I'm not saying it's the road to success, but it's the road to a possibility of it. The Warriors peaking at the right time, like run six in a row. The Lakers kind of, you know, fumbling into the seventh seed. Could that help at all? Yeah, and I mean, in a one-game scenario, if this was a seven-game series starting Wednesday, all of us would pick the Lakers, and the Warriors could go into Staples Center and win game one, and we would still emerge going, you know, like LeBron will adjust. The Lakers will still kind of get their rhythm a bit. They're a bit rusty. Over the course of seven games, they'll probably still win the series. But the reality is you go steal game one, you win. It's a playing game. Without actually taking LeBron and Davis off the floor, like saying they will be in the mix and the Lakers will have basically their full complement of players, this is about as vulnerable as they are with their full complement of players, which is like LeBron's still, what is he now played like three, four games since the ankle? Even last night, he's flexing it a little bit. He's saying post game, he's fine. He's like, he's going to leave his imprint. He left on that game. game early, right? Yeah. Well, it was kind of in and out. And they, they were scoreboard watching too and playing a bad Pelicans team where they could kind of survive. So Yeah, but he was in there in the fourth quarter, right? <laughs> Unnecessary. I just think that that ankle is a risk. It's not like a low ankle sprain. It's a risk. And I'm not saying that he's going to be compromised and it's not going to be LeBron out there, but I think there's a good chance that it gets aggravated and that that changes the game. And we talk like injuries aren't a factor a lot of the time, but playing with a high ankle sprain, that is not optimal. And it just seems like it is aggravating him that he's missed more time, uh, that they had to scale back the return date. That's a fairly serious injury to be playing with. I know he adjusted it from I'll never be the same again to it'll be 99.9% the same or what have you, but that's not nothing. You don't want to win due to injury necessarily, but I mean, that's about as realistic a pathway as the Warriors have. Yeah, and Davis is not in top shape himself. I mean, we're talking about a guy who literally missed 36 games because of a recurring Achilles injury that they kind of... Uh, termed like I think it was like tendinopathy type it was like kind of the type of thing termed like Kawhi Leonard's quad was back in the day I mean he's just back from that for a handful of games and he just recently missed a game with a groin injury now they've again they're playing it safe but it's just this isn't just full throttle Lakers this is trying to discover themselves Lakers with a center position that is drama around the team because they're discovering that Marcus is the best option even though they promise Andre Drummond a starting job and Montrez Harrell was their bigger offseason acquisition. Um, so they're trying to sort that out. Meanwhile, the point guard position, Dennis Schroeder, their third most important player, went through kind of a contract dispute in the middle of the season, was clearly on the trading block. They nearly traded him for Kyle Lowry. And then after that, when, I mean, it doesn't seem like the rosiest of situations, it's almost a little Oubre-like, um, he enters coronavirus protocols and then has weird press conference after he returns, and he just returned for like this last game and said, snitching on people <laughs> yeah it sounded like he was like indicating that they punished him because he didn't have the vaccine he said he didn't test positive yet he missed 14 days i don't know it's an odd situation he didn't test positive but he can't catch it again then he did one of my favorite he, he did one of my favorite things which is uh revealing state secrets to um 
a different language, a German language publication. I just love when celebrities do that, when they talk to uh, someone outside of the United States and they just assume it's going to stay there. And of course it doesn't because of the internet. And then it comes back. That was also very amusing. I mean, big active off the court situation for him this season. Really, uh, truly impressive. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the guy on your team you want to pick a fight with too. <laughs> but I'm just like you know to to kind of a you know wide ranging answer of your question, Mark is like they're as vulnerable as they possibly could be without missing a piece, particularly in a one game scenario. They're not a good shooting team at all. That must be mentioned. I think they're 24th in in made threes this season. They can have a bad shooting night. They can get a little bit clunky offensively. And the expectation, particularly with a rusty LeBron, is like, you know how sometimes LeBron shoots himself into rhythm? Marcus, you wrote about this early oh, this yeah. season. I mean, he was above 40% at one yeah, point. he was rolling. Um, you know, that jumper... I tanked that, him. It was me. It wasn't yeah. Even, it was me. Well, you kind of started to tank him, and then he gets injured, and it's like, you know, LeBron almost needs to, like, shoot himself back into it. And I just... He could come out Wednesday night and do one of those where he has, like, four straight threes on four straight possessions and ends of the game but it just doesn't feel like to me that's likely because of the situation he's he's coming into where he's just he's not how many shots has he even got up over the last couple of months we will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. To me, here's the biggest problem. This is very obvious, but something we haven't talked about yet. How many points does Steph need to score for the Warriors to win? I think it's got to be like the Grizzlies game. The last time Steph scored 40 in L.A. was when he dropped 47 April of 2013. Are you about to Staples Center curse this? I mean, is this, is this is that not part of it? The last time he played there was a game Kobe got hurt. The last time Steph went off in Staples, Kobe tore his Achilles, and he hasn't recovered from it. He's been traumatized ever since. <laughs> no, but seriously, Steph is four for his last 39 from three in Staples Center. The last time he made better than uh, a third of his threes was January 2016. He went four for eight. That's the last time he's made three three-pointers in a game. It's been five years since Steph made three three-pointers in Staples. He's had some pretty dominant performances against the Clippers at Staples, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sense. I'm sorry, against the Lakers at Staples. Excellent point. That's kind of it, right? I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. They got to figure out a way to get Steph off. You know, some of it is probably the L.A. The, the L.A. bug, right? Like, the team always kind of played trash in that L.A. game, in the Lakers game. So Are you accusing Steph of uh, just, just partying in L.A. and just not being as good as he should what, be? What if accusation? it's just, like, a bunch of, like, Under Armour and endorsement meetings and stuff? Like, what if it's... <laughs> well, he could just not take them this time. This is a slightly bigger game. Oh, no question. No question. And also, the climate isn't like, yo, go <laughs> go out and hang out all night. I don't know if the options are there. But is this not priority number one? How do you get Steph out of his his funk at L.A.? Or is that just not even a factor because this dude is playing like crazy this year? I think you just want to make sure you can get him some sort of breathing room and he, he has to do the rest. And um 
mean, that's just been a focus for them all year. They're brilliant at when they take the first option away, sticking with it with those ball screens and seeking it out again. And sometimes almost using a double team to their advantage because everybody scrambles away from the double team when it goes away from Steph. And then they go right back to Steph at the exact correct moment. It's not going to be easy. It's just such a good defense. And, you know, maybe it's not going to be Steph needs to score over 40 points. Maybe he will have to be the decoy and it's going to be everybody else because that's generally how a playoff game tends to go of a lot of discipline on option one and everybody else is going to have to come through. So yeah, maybe I misspoke when I said it's got to be a mid forties scoring performance. It just might have to be Wiggins. I mean, Wiggins is probably the X factor. It's probably... If they win, Wiggins had a good game, and if Wiggins has a bad game, they they probably don't have a chance. You know, uh, he's historically played well against LeBron. That's kind of what LeBron I said, too, right, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> like, I don't know, you talk to old Minnesota people, and they're like, I wish we saw LeBron James every game just for Andrew Wiggins' purposes because he always got up for those games. He's been impressive. These like these have been high-stakes games leading up to the playoffs, and like he's he's been good. He showed up. I want to steal all of Marcus's takes and then regurgitate them 20 minutes later in the podcast. I misspoke. I had my uh, order wrong. Steph is eight for his last 38, and Sable's not four for his last 39. Eight for his last 38. You including I feel like games, you can... I no, just Laker games. Well, that's Staples Center. I know. I keep saying that. I feel like you could have gotten away with it. I, 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 I doubt anybody would have gone through the archives and said, aha, you were wrong on that stat. I think you could, they would have let it slide. My bad, man. I'm sorry. All right, let's, let's get the Clippers. I have a uh, little uh, trivia piece, kind of, I guess, for you guys. Not trivia, but um, the Warriors beat the Lakers. Kent Bazemore. No, Kent Bazemore. No, <laughs> he's not the answer. Uh, the Warriors beat the Lakers once this season. Uh, it was MLK Day, and they came from 19 down. Wiseman had a rough game. Gasol was really kind of giving it to him. Remember, he had that crashing charge into Gasol. They went down 19. It's when Draymond had that mic'd up segment with Wiseman that was uh, kind of went viral. I but like came, that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the two most important players for the Warriors in that game? Kelly Oubre was one of them. Kelly Oubre was one of them. It was his first big game for the Warriors. He had like 20-something points. He was hounding Schroeder late. He had this like big turnover off an inbound. He was like doing the first down He had down like four signs. first downs that game. Right? Yeah, exactly. He really, he, it, was, it was his first down. He was putting together down. some good drives. He was... Uh... He could... You know, I don't want to get back into a Kelly Oubre debate that we have every time, but he could be used in this matchup, and he will not be there. And then do you know who the second big player for the Warriors that night was base no I mean like I'm sure he had a nice night but this guy really helped them in an important point and I will get to it after uh, I want to look it up but I don't want to cheat yeah I don't want to I don't want to tell you guys. Ta- no 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 Eric Pascal. Ah, oh, I was gonna guess it this was I, the I point was of the early season when it. they were with that second unit that was Pascal at center. It was like it was the Wanamaker second unit, but it was working in this like pocket of the season because Pascal kept killing centers and he killed Montrez Harold this night. I believe that is the game after we came on and been like, "Does Eric Pascal have a Montrez Harold type future?" You know, <laughs> he was nine of eleven for nineteen points, I believe, in that game, and they. They got down big in the first quarter. It was when that starting lineup was getting crushed with Wiseman and Oubre. They got back into it in the second quarter because Pascal went on a big bully ball scoring run. 
it's just interesting to think about because the idea that no Ubre for injury reasons and then likely no Pascal for just rotation reasons and he's rusty. So yes, they beat them this season, but, but Ethan kind of is putting match. Pascal in the rotation, right? Ethan, you got him. You ready? You ready for some Pascal one on one? I wasn't the one saying it. There, I was having a very interesting conversation with somebody who might have some power over what happens about Eric Pascal. That's all I'll say. I don't have a firm opinion on it. I don't know how rusty he is behind the scenes. Man, just um, say you talk to Bob Fitzgerald and get it over with. <laughs> Bob Fitzgerald. <laughs> Eric Pascal. I just love the, the laughing talking. Pask animal. Pask animal. <laughs> the Pask animal. That's Bob Fitzgerald. You got to combine the laugh and the you talk. You got to get that. La- yeah, you got to get that. What and do you, you call that, cocky, by the way? You, you got to get the, the, the cocky. It's almost like he's the leading scorer in the league. <laughs> just incredulous on this. <laughs> They're going to play their regular eight-man rotation that they've been playing with. It's what he's trusting right now. The only the only soft spot there is Mulder, but he seems committed to it. Well, look, Pascal's numbers aren't as bad as I thought they'd be looking back on his season and how he's fallen out of the rotation. Um, it's kind of kind of surprisingly decent. I know there's a lot more to basketball than that, and the plus-minus has not been has not been good. But you look at the numbers and you go. Yeah, especially for terrib- a dude who does the thing, the one thing you want him to do, like that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's like this. This isn't as terrible as I thought it was. I mean, this is per thirty six minutes, nineteen point seven points, six point six rebounds, two point six assists, and the efficiency not not bad, like fifty fifty six percent. I mean, that's a little hair below the NBA average right now. But in my mind, this is just a disaster Pascal season. And then you you look at it, and you go, okay, and it's not it's not. Not awful. Yeah, but I think if you zoom out and view like his future with the Warriors and the fact that like a lot of that big chunk production was early in the season, then he faded his the way his body kind of broke down, you know, sporadically with the knee really sapped a lot of his burst, the hip late on just kind of a normal little breakup, and the fact that Juan Toscano Anderson has completely hopped him at his position, you know, that is where you go. E, you know, when you look at his future. It's a bad season. I'm just saying in the context of a bad season, when you look at the numbers, you'd almost expect it to look like Jordan Poole's rookie season as opposed to, yeah, you know, he didn't have the impact they wanted him to have, but it's not like he was completely inefficient. So it's just just interesting looking back. Maybe we see him. Maybe we see some surprise Pascal just to shake things up against a physical Laker team. I could see that happening. By the way, updated numbers. Steph, uh, 11 for his last 39 in Staples Center against the Clippers. All totaled his last 10 games at Staples, 22 for 86 from three, which is 25.6%. So he's due. He's due. The regression to the, to the mean at Staples. It's one of the weird elements of his uh, career, <laughs> like the way he shoots at Staples, which is uh, weird because it wasn't always that way. Let's presume what we all think, that the likelihood is the Warriors lose to the Lakers. Is it better they get the Grizzlies again, or should Warriors fans be rooting for a San Antonio upset? Root for San Antonio. By the way, are you sure? San Antonio, especially if they beat the Grizzlies, are one of those teams that just... Like you just overlook them, and next thing you know, you're you're taking an L to them. Yeah, but they're not good. I mean, let's face it, they're not very. They're good. never. They haven't been good for a long time, and somehow they're still. <laughs> By the no, way, as ratings ratings nerd corner, uh, it'd be fun to gamble on what the audience difference will be, but between the play-ins in the Western Conference, it just seems like uh, that's going to be the biggest gulf you can have with two 
just comparable situations, the Warriors-Laker play-in versus the Grizzlies-Spurs play-in? I'm just saying. The league should just like like force the Grizzlies Spurs game into a little corner on the Laker game. Just put run them simultaneously. NBA put TV. Them on. <laughs> I will read about that ratings report in the Athletic on uh, Friday, probably. Definitely Spurs later. Yeah. So the Spurs have lost. Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They're two and ten in their last twelve games. They don't have Derek White, who's been one of their best players all season. He's hurt. This is their starting lineup. I mean, it's okay, but uh, Deontay Murray, Lonnie Walker, Jakob Pertle at center, Keldon Johnson, DeMar DeRozan. They're coming off the bench with, like, Drew Eubanks. You mean warrior killer Jakob Pertle, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of rebounds well and, like, protects the rim decently. Um, they're just not as good as Memphis, and Memphis will be definitely favored in that game. I think you... Sure, you'd take the Spurs. The, the truth is you'd take really either. I mean, that that is a nice safety net for them to have either. We just saw what they are against Memphis and, and just the problems they present and the fact that John Moran is just not ready at this level. Steph I mean, didn't, he didn't shoot well at all and still kind of dominated them. Dylan Brooks was friskier than I thought as a defender. I was impressed with him. And Ooh, like, did you see him sitting on the bench when he fouled out? Boy, he was tired. His foul out was a big moment. You know, it was breakdown after breakdown after that. If you look at the film, like DeAnthony Melton came out and was just like giving up like easy split action, wide open Steph Curry three. So Memphis is better. To answer your question, Memphis is better than San Antonio. They provide a tougher challenge. It's more likely they beat the Warriors, even though we wouldn't pick either of them to beat the Warriors. I don't know. Something about giving that same team a second crack so soon, but then they would be coming off a win, right? So it's like, uh, I I don't know. yeah, you're probably right. You're, you're you're probably right. Definitely want San Antonio. Definitely want San Antonio. But if you're the Warriors, you rather Phoenix or Utah? Uh, I think Utah. The injury bug. Conley's back now. Donovan Mitchell. It was a, a nor, you know it was a normal roll of the ankle, and it sounds like they've just really you know sounds Been like he will be cautious, fresh right? enough. Yeah, They're yeah. about to have a week off. They're like what thirty one and four at home this season. And I talked to somebody. You know I'm going to go Ethan Strauss here. I text with somebody in the Warriors organization. Is uh, Bill Simmons or is it me? <laughs> oh no, it's got to be somebody with uh, the power to ha- make change. With the Cousin powers Sal. that be. <laughs> the point was made, and I agree with it. Like Utah is playoff tested more than phoenix and utah has been there and like people act like utah they've taken like some ales a bunch too. Yeah, but it's not, like but them ales teach you though the yes it was it had. was dynasty warriors it was like the hardened rockets who were basically you know like that was a it was really jamal good murray yeah well that, that one they completely <laughs> gacked away last year and, and we're a mike conley three away from beating a denver team that proved to be really solid went on to beat the clippers but they'd prefer phoenix i'll just say that for them, I prefer the Jazz just because of the injuries. Just they, that's the big confound. I mean, if you're talking healthy, then yeah, you prefer Phoenix. But I mean, with the injuries, I, mean, I don't know. By the way, do you know well, what the they line are is? Do you know what the, the the line is right now for Lakers Warriors? I think I saw somebody say it was up at like seven and a half, and and like Sharps had bet it down, so it's below that at this point. I don't know what it's, it's down now to. down to four and a half at Staple. That's surprising. That's interesting. What do they know? What do they know? Isn't that just a bunch of Warriors fans like taking the? I mean, there are a lot of Laker fans in this world. Uh, it's interesting. Laker I, I fans shook. It. Oh man, is that is that what you told me? I wouldn't expect it to be that low. You know, I mean, that's nearly betting at even. That's nearly betting at because when you think about how you get about three points, points on a row. Them. Yeah. It probably shouldn't be that low. I would say, but also like you know, the Lakers really are just like what have they? You know. 
they need to prove it. Like this going in and whacking up the Warriors would be them like proving, okay, like, you know. Uh, yeah, they flip you know, the switch. Showtime. Ready. But yeah. they got to prove that first. I'm seeing it down to four at one book. I mean, that's, you wonder if there are little whispers and rumblings about whatever's going on with LeBron's ankle. When I see, when I see a line like that, I would have thought that seven, like seven felt right to me. So that's, that's an interesting decline. All right, we have finished a 72-game season. Uh, what, what were your biggest surprises? What, what jumped out to you as we recapped the season? I mean, I don't want to talk about Jordan Poole again, but that's the obvious one. That was a softball for you to talk about the Looney Renaissance. And you, you oh, the Looney Renaissance. Poole? Well, no, Man. but that wasn't surpri- that wasn't surprising. That was I told you guys. I told you guys the Kevon Looney <laughs> Renaissance was going to happen, and so I was not shocked at all. I was shocked about Poole, and I know he's not going to get most improved player, but I feel like he should. They always go with a guy who just got more minutes, and I get you're with saying. Randall. Jordan Poole should be most improved player of the year. I mean, you yeah. see how he threw that in there. I'm not gonna. I'm not saying he's gonna win it. Like, yeah, who is? <laughs> I, I got about ten candidates. I'd take over him. No, who is saying Jordan Poole's gonna win it? You brought that up like it was a bunch of people saying it. No, I was just saying that I'm not. I'm not presenting it as though it's even a plausible scenario. This is like LeBron talking about Steph not winning MVP. That hey, this is what I think should be, but it will not be so. That's all I'm saying. And why? Why shouldn't he be in that conversation? These other guys who are up for most improved player, like they went from good to better in many instances. Uh, Jordan Poole went from maybe the worst player in the league to good. <laughs> was the- it's a very small sample size with Jordan Poole still. Not not enough um, games. I mean, he literally he- was in the G League bubble for like a month and a half and not in the rotation for a I mean, month. That's how you improve. That's improvement. Yes, and he did, and I'm with you. But but, but when you start talking up, about being he, most tr- improved player, that's what I'm like. There's no way you can see what Julius Randle's doing. And talk his about true shooting is up 13 percentage points, Jordan Poole's is, versus last year. I mean, just in the true spirit of what of what the award should if be. If we're talking about one one year, you know, growth, how about Zion Williamson then? Like that is a second year player, just like Jordan Poole, who went from oh, you know, what's going really on with Zion as a rookie in the bubble? It's kind of going weird to like literally all NBA, like third team. He's a superstar in waiting. Uh, I I don't know about that. Maybe that's what the award is about. Maybe it's about how we think that you're on your way to becoming something good, and we want to just signal that you're making that leap. But to go from again, you would not. Nobody would shout you down if in the first half of last season you said Jordan Poole is the worst player in basketball. I would uh, shout you down, and I you did. would, but Shitty most people down. wouldn't. <laughs> but most people would not. And then to be, I don't know, the sixth man of the Warriors, a, a positive player, positive point differential. I, I mean, I'm just saying, if there's a in another context, if people looked at the award differently, it would be a way to go. That's all I'm saying. When we're, ta- when we're talking about what's the most shocking outcome of this season, he is that thing. He is the most shocking outcome. I would say most impressive, probably. Maybe I, I just I'm just not that surprised. I mean, year one to year two, you do get better. Like that's what it's kind of what's supposed to do. And we he had a nice little like twelve game at the run. end of last year. Yeah, he did. Yeah, we we saw some of the stuff. To me, my biggest surprise is Wiggins that he was able to play defense and sustain it all year, and just be what people thought he could, including myself. Like he just he's been a good player all year. And even if he leaves you a little bit desired, like the way he's played defense consistently all year, I just did not see that coming. And we had years of evidence too. <laughs> so 
to me, that's the biggest surprising element that that dude is now a really, a really good wing defender, which was one of, one of the hardest things to defend in this league. But they can put him on guys and feel pretty good about it. He shut out some pretty good guys in here. So to me, that's the biggest surprise that that dude played defense all year and, and played every game and played his minutes and was uh, and was the trooper that the Warriors needed. My most improved player of the year, Juan Toscano Anderson. No, I'm just kidding. Much bigger surprise than Jordan Poole. I, I like how you presented it like the count on Sesame Street. <laughs> One, One Toscano Anderson. Toscano Anderson. <laughs> we talk about leaps. You know, Ethan's talking about this leap from first round rookie that looks like a bust to first round 28th overall pick that looks like a steal in Jordan Poole. Juan Toscano Anderson went from like, you talk about out, out of the NBA. I mean, like, like okay, they're bringing him to camp as an extra body. We were debating if Michael Mulder should make the roster. We never during camp were even assuming JT as a roster possibility. And, he, and you know, clearly the franchise wasn't either. They, they cut him. Um, and they cut him with the idea that nobody was going to claim him on a completely minimum deal control for like three years of, of JTA on a minimum. Any team could have had him in preseason. He goes through waivers and they get him on a two-way. And now, you know, we talk about Jordan Poole being their sixth man. Are we sure JTA is not currently their most important bench player? And to the point that they got him on the minimum for a full guarantee next year. And you have people being like, how did they do that? Like, that's such a steal. That is a stunner of, of a development this season. I would agree. I don't think he's their most important bench player, but I would agree that it's a stunner of a development. Uh, and it's it is, close. It's close. Well, it's, it's more so because of what they've got. It's not saying anything about the relative impact of JTA versus Poole, but nobody else in the roster approximates what Poole does, um, aside from obviously Steph. And with JTA, there are other rangy, switchy wings, especially when Kelly Oubre, I guess, is actually healthy. But it's close, man. He's had a great season, and it is an incredible turnaround. And it kind of saved the season that those two guys popped. They would not be, potentially, for as much as we're talking about Steph and the LeBron, uh, the LeBron speech about Steph and where they would be without him, they would not be in a good state if they didn't have the unexpected impact of those two guys. Yeah. I mean, the, and the difference with Poole that you were talking about is like he's 21. And like, there, there's also this idea of what is Jordan Poole becoming? Or JTA is just going to be this JTA for the next few seasons, which is fine. It's very needed, but it's different. So Steve Kerr has been. You're going to go you know, disappointments next? Is that what we're going? Nah, nah. Steve Kerr has been talked about a lot this year. Now that the season's over. He he ended up, uh, you know, accurately predicting a run at the end of the year. How do you assess how Steve has done this year? Now that the regular season's finished, like how, how did he do, and how would you rank, uh, or I guess, uh, you know, explain your take on his performance? Uh, I mean, with coaches, it's always so hard to assess because you don't have the counterfactual. You don't get to see somebody else coaching the team. But I think it's two expectations. I think the mandate for him was to make the playoffs with this Warriors team, and they made the playoffs. Now, you would have wanted Wiseman to progress, and so maybe that's a mark against. And we just don't know how much of that is Wiseman himself versus how the, the Warriors have handled him. But I think if you were making a case against Steve, it would probably begin and end with Wiseman. But again, I think that ultimately he executed, he executed the play. That's already happened. The eighth seed, the eighth seed was it was achieved. You know, we'll we'll see if they actually make the the playoffs proper. 
I think one thing we learned about Steve is that he remains a very good coach for a veteran win now team and it's not necessarily the greatest mix if he's coaching like a, a a young developmental team like his system is for smart veteran high iq guys and make him the thunder coach right now like make him you know give him a tanking team right now and or you could just look at last year's team when they went 15 and 50 that is just not i don't think for him and that's okay you know like different coaches make sense for different parts of a franchise's you know story arc their growth pattern and and steve since he's still coaching the staff like we're seeing right now like he knows how to coach a team that fits around Steph. he knows how to get the best out of draymond he knows how to win with this type of mix of players the question was well okay throw a second overall pick with a modern skill set but like super raw and you kind of got to like bring him along smartly and maybe change your style and, you know, run more pick and rolls for him and, and, and try to make two eras match, but you know, do it all at once. Like, I wouldn't say he succeeded very well in that. Like this was, as Ethan mentioned, this was not a good, this was James Wiseman's situation is the disappointment of the warrior season. And that's not all on James Wiseman. Certainly not. It's on the environment that kind of brought him up in it wasn't easy it wasn't as easy as if he just went to the you know minnesota timberwolves like anthony edwards did and it was like whatever they're gonna lose a bunch anyways just play 35 minutes but i think i don't know you guys might agree or disagree doesn't seem to be the type of coach that i think necessarily has the patience level for a young type of team we'll see but with james i guess but they're going to still try to win the next couple of seasons. Steve wants to facilitate a, a team cohesion, like with strength and numbers, where everybody is more or less on the same page. And the reality is with a young rookie, a, a teenager, they almost have to be on a different track. They almost have to be involved in a different kind of thing that is that is parallel but not totally a part of the situation it would uh, it would seem, and that your rules and regulations for everybody else. I think the, the example to cite would be, uh, Wiseman gets punished for missing two coronavirus tests coming back from the All-Star break. Now you could say that's bad on Wiseman. How do you miss two tests? But the counter is how does nobody notice when he misses the first test? And how is nobody really checking on him? And how is nobody really holding his hand and getting him to the facility and watching him in a way that you wouldn't a guy in his 30s who has won multiple championships? And so that's, that's I think, the, the, the critique is that Doing this approach of all for one, one for all, we're a team, can work better with a certain cohort, and there needs to be an adjustment when there's a guy who's just too young to really fully be a part of that. I agree with everything y'all said. I, I think Steve learned a lot this year. He, it felt like he was almost as young as the people he were coaching. Watching him like kind of say, yeah, we're, we're done, right? We're not that good and almost lose his urgency like you just saw him like go from that point to getting that urgency back and making the moves like to win it was almost like he had tried to be this oklahoma city coach <laughs> you know what i'm saying and just gave up it was like all right got the injuries now let's get in my bag let's do what we do but he's definitely grown out of like his way and and and, and morphed a bit as he's grown but yeah i, I do think this was a lot for him to do for a guy who walked on with all stars and a team that was ready to win. I thought it was a lot for him to juggle both. And I think it's going to inform what they do next. I, I really, I really think it will shape what their next decisions are. 
Which leads me to the last one. What is the greatest development this year? What did they learn? What was the, the bit of information they got out of this year that will be the most key going into the future? Somebody else has to talk about Jordan Poole. <laughs> I can't keep is it doing Jordan it. Poole? <laughs> I think so. I think that's the main thing. Okay, I, uh... <laughs> I'll give you one that. Well, that, that's not Poole. Uh, I mean, like just like the small ball nature of of their current run is is a very obvious answer. And the fact, I mean, as the league keeps modernizing, as Draymond proves, like he can still be super effective, but his jumper will never return. You know, like just that idea. And, and the way they kind of need to build the roster that way while probably still maintaining Wiseman and, and maybe prioritizing Wiseman's three-point shot because and, you know, it's fluid. I don't know. I mean, like, that's probably the thing, though. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I got a non-pool one, which is they sort of saw, A, how far away they are, and B, how much urgency they have to get there. Because I think Steph is putting the pressure on them that they've got to – They've got to close that gap now. They've got to be in a little bit win now. Now, he's not coming out and he's not saying, hey, trade those Minnesota picks. I mean, trade the Minnesota pick in the, in the upcoming pick. Get me somebody right now or I'm out. But you can see that the screws are getting put to them. And I don't think that happens if Steph has a decent season. Steph having an incandescent season, that gave him a lot of leverage over them. And it puts more pressure on them because now it's not a matter of, wasting a diminishing Steph Curry's uh, prime. It's wasting an MVP level player's prime. Their timeline is going to be accelerated probably as a result of this season. Yeah, I think because of that, I think that points to what Slater was saying. Like, it's not profitable for them to be trying to play a different style as long as they got Steph and Draymond. Like, they got to run. They got to play small. They got to have shooters. They got to have the high IQ passers. Yeah, which is big. They, they just got to play it. They got to lean in to the way that they play the best. And if that means getting like another Draymond or somebody else who can be that type of player, getting, you know, some wings who can handle another creator, more shooters, like they've got to do that because Steph's ready, Draymond's ready. They just need some horses. And. You can't just be like, all right, we get clay. Now we, we, we in the NBA finals. Like they're going to have to, they got to lean in. And even with Wiseman, like you said, like, you know how Wiseman's got to play just pulling up and trying to like create the next, the, the post Curry setup. Like that's, you can't do that right now. That's got to wait for down the line. Even if Wiseman is back, he's got to be hitting jumpers. He's got to be running the floor. He's got to be hot, pick and roll, diving to the rim. And pretty much that's about it. <laughs> And you then know, sitting on the bench. Uh, maybe someone's doing that for 20 minutes in the meat of the game and like sitting on the bench probably uh, until he proves he's ready to close. All right. Uh, so next time we next time we do worst plus minus, they'll be in the playoffs or we'll be doing a season ender season look ahead. Oh, man. I think they'll be in a one eight against the Jazz. I mean, like this is all laid out as I we agree. all expect. I they agree. beat Grizzlies, lose the Lakers, beat Grizzlies, play the Jazz, lose the Jazz would be my guess. But I don't know about you. Yeah, I think it's the most likely scenario. Probable playoffs, uh, chance it doesn't happen. I like Salt Lake. Will we be going? That's an interesting question to talk about mm. next time. Mm. Hope so. All right, for uh, Anthony Slaker and Ethan Sherwood Strauss, uh, we are out of here. Anthony, you know me well, buddy. Y'all have a great night.